With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are YWales. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, YWales. Again, wherever in the world you are, it's a, it's a consistent rotating issue that we can control everything except for time zones. And I'm always in trouble with somebody's wife because their husband is spending too much time or spouse, it doesn't matter, whatever it is, uh, too much time on YWales uh, at certain hours of the day because that's when the content's loaded. Um, but I want to take a pivot and we've got a really interesting guest today with, with Tom Ara and uh, from DLA. And, and this is a, one of those interviews that I think is really important to have. And it's, it's from a professional standard standpoint. And so Tom has, has been in the space for a number of years. Uh, DLA Piper is, is absolutely one of the, the predominant, uh, players in the game. And so, you know, really without me going too much into the depth on this right now, um, let's go ahead and pivot over to Tom. And, and Tom, will you give us some background, you know, kind of really prior to everything you're doing today of, of kind of the, the, the how you grew up in the space and, and kind of made your way over into wanting to work in Web3 in this capacity? Sure. Well, uh, Jay, thanks for having me today um, and uh, glad to be able to speak with your audience. Um, I was actually quite flattered when you said interesting guests because not a lot of people think of lawyers as interesting guests, although I guess it depends on what kind of lawyer you are and and who you (laughs) represent, (laughs) including former presidents. Um, But um, so... My background, interestingly enough, I, I grew up working in the radio business. Um, and I was in love with radio uh, and wanted to, you know, my dream was to be a syndicated radio show host back in the early 90s. My misspent youth was all about, you know, radio and, and music. Um, and um, that perspective changed somewhere along my college years and, and was convinced to pursue a career in law and, uh, and really law and media and entertainment because I thought, well, I love music. I love radio. I love entertainment. Maybe I can take a professional approach at it and pursue a career as an entertainment lawyer as I did. Uh, and, um, and that was, uh, kind of the beginning of my journey <laughs> that has led to where I am. Of course, those are the days of something called terrestrial radio, which probably most of your audience has never heard of or, or listened to, uh, with Spotify and every other digital offering these days. But, um, those were really, you know, for me, the beginnings of seeing the transformation of the industry to what it has become today. And, I feel incredibly fortunate because 25 years in this business and most of that practicing as a lawyer, I've seen what most very veteran lawyers and folks in the media and entertainment industry would describe as probably the most transform- uh, transformative change in this industry, uh, probably even more transformative from you know, you know, going from eight track to cassette, or uh, you know, uh, videotape, or even the advent of television, major shift in twenty five well, years. Yeah, and I'd really like to point out, you know, on that note, there's there's no difference in any of the years that you've been practicing. You know, 
leading into web one, leading into web two, or leading into web three. The law is still the law. And I think that most people really just believe that because permissionless and open standards exist, that suddenly all this goes away. And, you know, the SEC would like to have a conversation with anyone that believes that, um, because that's, that's just not the case. Um, and, you know, Tom, I, I think you can speak about this really in a very much more prevalent manner. And I, I talk about why whales and, and web three, uh, you know, very often about we're still in such an early phase that most people don't understand the technology that, that is web three, you know, black blockchain and cryptocurrencies. They don't understand it. And so what we have right now from a, from a very educational standpoint, I guess, is the technology driving the industry. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It happens every time that there's a new technology. It happened in web one. Uh, it happened in web two and, and it's happening now. But the, but the reality is the only way to monetize some of this technology in a legal and global capacity is to come back to the legal foundations that exist to protect all the IP holders and everyone else around here. Napster 100% proved that people wanted digital music and movies. They wanted access to, to files of which that, that didn't exist, you know, in their record store that no one was making available to them. However, Napster's not around today in any meaningful capacity because Spotify, Apple Music, uh, you know, Pandora all went out and legally acquired the, these catalogs and then adopted the technology on top of that. Absolutely. And I'm actually grateful to Napster because it helped me pivot my career away from just music to everything else. I was coming out of law school a few years before and right, you know, as Napster was happening. uh, And I wanted to be a music lawyer initially and then realized, wait a minute, the sky is falling (laughs) because all the music is basically free. This can't be good for the record companies. And sure enough, they're, you know, for over a decade or more, the record business suffered and has finally, over the past few years, made a comeback. Thank you to, in great part, Web 2 and now Web 3. So to your point, it's exactly uh, uh, the, the, the reason why I think the uh, my, my interest in the industry has shifted so much and leaned into it uh, in a great way. No, it, it, it's, it's such an emerging asset class and, you know, the technology is, is changing daily. Um, and, and, and the laws really haven't caught up in any way, shape or form because, and, and where you can educate a lot, a lot. And I hear from, I, I probably get at least two to five pitches a month on, you know, here's how we're going to, you know, NFTs and, and blockchain is going to change the music and movie and, you know, film industry. And, and it's fabulous. It's great. I believe that. But what, the, my first question, every cross the time, 100% is, what, it, what does your lawyer say about this? <laughs> right. And most of the time, they're like, well, you know, we're, 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 we're permissionless, we're on chain, we're this. And I go, well, right. you know, that's, that's what everybody thinks. You know, right now, it's, it is the Wild West, and I appreciate that from a, you know, build, and, build it and figure out what has happened, break it and, you know, go through that prospect. But, you know, what, what's your perspective on, on kind of the overall ecosystem today, which is chaos, to where we're going to get to mainstream adoption? You know, what, what are kind of the few steps you think it's going to take? Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, I think you're... You know the moniker of chaos, uh, as it currently stands, is is, is apropos. Uh, I think, um, and, and by the way, notwithstanding that chaos, you've seen Fortune 100 companies wade into it and lean into it, which, frankly, is quite surprising. I mean, to some extent, I 
In the 90s, in the Web 1 era, there were definitely a number of major corporations that were leaning into it. It wasn't just the startups, Yahoo, Google, Amazon, but but it, it certainly, I think, carried a different type of risk uh, than some of what's happening in, in Web3 uh, does. Um, and so I think it is chaotic right now. I think uh, a ton of settling needs to occur on a number of fronts. As you pointed out, people feel that once they go on-chain or Web3, all of a sudden, you know, laws and legalities evaporate. And look, the guy at the SEC has the same access to Web3 as, as you and I do. Uh, the, 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 you know, prosecutor who uh, gets a call from somebody who lost uh, even thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands on an NFT phishing scam uh, has the same access to the uh, uh, NFT platforms that... Um, uh, you and I do, and the marketplaces. So the laws don't go away. In fact, uh, they apply fully and completely, and the need to be cognizant of them and and work and, and, and comply with them is equally important. With that all said, I think, um, you know, this is one thing I love about my job is there's a lot of things that are antiquated about this world, and the laws are squarely in that category. There needs to be updating uh, of laws and regulations. And some of that is happening, but it's a bit uh, uh, slow and the attention only comes when something goes wrong. Or you get too big. Some, when something goes really right as well as when they show up knocking as well. True, very true. That's the <laughs> other end, uh, yeah, end of the spectrum, but that, that's correct. Yeah, so as a quick disclosure, uh, YWales has never done any business with DLA Piper nor myself. So this is a, a truly open interview here with Tom. And, um, but, but really, you know, I do believe that you should not write a single line of code. You should not, you know, engage a, a single, uh, amount of resources in any project, whether it's web one, web two, web three, or anything until you have sound legal advice. Um, and, and, you know, right now I think that there's two major shortages, uh, in, in web three. The first is developers. And the second is, 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 proper legal advice. Um, I hear people all the time that say, yeah, I consult my lawyer and, and this is fine. And I said, I, I'm not a lawyer, but I can promise you that's not fine. Um, and, you know, before you go spend, you know, in millions of dollars developing your protocol, let, let's go out and, and, and have a second opinion taken on that. What, what's your, you know, kind of run us through the roadmap of any entrepreneur in the space, <clears throat> you know, what, what their mindset should be thinking about as they're wanting to develop a, a Web3 protocol, which may be entirely distributed and completely run by a smart contract that lives on the blockchain and no one touches it again. But, but how should people think about you know, talking uh, to, to a lawyer like yourself? Sure. Well, I think um, if that comes to mind or somebody like yourself uh, is, is, is savvy enough to um, recommend to an entrepreneur to uh, consult with a legal professional um, on their strategy and approach. Look, there's a business component to what every entrepreneur does, and there's a legal component. And I think they have to go hand in hand. Um, and the earlier, the better. I, I can't tell you how many times, Jay, we've had to clean up um, very, very smart and, and successful entrepreneurs' messes from an early stage, kind of being hasty and maybe trying to trim cost here and there. They've set up an entity in the wrong way. They've, they haven't done, you know, 
proper elections for issuing shares, a variety of things um, from the corporate side. Well, the same we see now very much when it comes to people setting up DAOs or setting up uh, NFT uh, protocols or, or, or initiatives. Um, a lot of that is, look, we'll just kind of get this going. If it's successful, we'll deal, deal with it later. And I get that approach. I mean, it's, it's certainly, um, not, I, I can't argue with somebody for not wanting to put their life savings, uh, into my account <laughs> to pay, to pay for, for legal fees. But I, look, I think there's a balance and I think there's definitely, there are legal professionals who can work with early stage entrepreneurs. And we do, we have one of the best, you know, my firm, DLA Piper, uh, one of the best, um, uh, startup and, and emerging growth venture capital practices in the country. Um, and we do, we, we work with those folks to find a balance. I think the discussion really with your counselor needs to be, A, do you understand the space? Like I'm a techie. I was trying to figure out how to connect the peer to peer networks in like 1989. It was a joke, right? Dos yep. Trump wasn't doing the trick for me, but I, you know, I think you need a combination of either one individual or multiple individuals on your legal team that have tech understanding and experience, corporate understanding and experience, because you're going to need some form of corporate entity. You don't want to be a sole proprietor, bad idea. Uh, and we talk about that, but you know, you don't want to be the guy who is named in the lawsuit individually. You may be anyway, but at least you can get out, uh, by saying, Hey, look, that's what I have an entity for in Delaware. Um, and, and, and then lastly, if you're in the NFT web three space, I, I think, my practice and my expertise, which I can tell you a little more about, which is the content world is critical too. Because when someone asked me, it was a variety reporter asked me uh, recently, you know, what did I think the prospects were for lawyers in the metaverse? I said, it's greenfields because everything in the metaverse is content. Somebody creates it, somebody licenses it, somebody acquires it. And I'm, hopefully that person representing, you know, those people and, or, or lawyers like me at my firm. Um, so I think having someone with content savvy and expertise is also a very critical component of that representation team. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's clearly, you know, web one, I, I heard a really great, uh, explanation from one of the, uh, the higher ups at, uh, a 16 Z and he gave a very, like, you know, we all do this every day. Like when someone says like, how do you describe web three? I think all of us have our, our sayings and I can't take credit for this one, but it was really good. You know, web one is read, like you can consume content, but, but that's it. Web that's two, right. you know, they defined as, as read, write. You could, you could read it, but you could also post on Facebook, Twitter, whatever the case is and push, push data out there very, very easily. And, and web three, they describe as, as read, write, own. Um, which means that you can, you can push and pull content, but you can actually own content and verifiably own things, uh, that are on chain. Now, you know, look, we're still very early in this, mm-hmm. but you know, for, for someone and, that and says, And I would like, just add to that, Jay, web three, we'd also add disintermediation, I think is a major component of it, right? Which yep. is really the idea of gradual removal of intermediaries, right? And this is why Facebook is launching meta. They want, they're an intermediary right now, but they want to be the platform where, you know, uh, they're no longer necessarily viewed as an intermediary, but where you go to interact in a disintermediated world. And so decentralization and disintermediary, uh, disintermediation, I think is, is critical, giving users tremendous control over that experience on, on the web, on the internet. 
Oh, absolutely. And, and so when we think about the, just some of the dynamic changes that, that now need to be thought of, because prior to this, you know, if I put a website up on, on, you know, web two, I just like, Hey, here's a website. Here's some content. I want to, I want to sell JPEGs. You know, it's, it's, it's clear, you know, the worst thing you got to worry about is number one, is it the content you created and that you own? Uh, and, and two, you know, are you paying the taxes on, on any revenue generated? I'd say that those are kind of the two of the major things that you have to look at. Describe in Web3 what, what somebody needs to be thinking about when they say, I'd like to do an NFT project. You know, I want to go ahead and put a smart contract out that's going to live forever, deploy X number of thousands of, of randomly generated characters, which is, you know, let's, let's pretend that they're original content. What, what does somebody need to think about, you know, prior to, to deploying that on chain? Sure. Well, I, I think the most important thing to note about smart contracts as one of my partners says, you know, they're called smart contracts, but they're really not that smart. Um, and, and reliance on them, I think is a bit, um, overstated by, by folks. But remember, smart contracts are code. So lawyers are not the ones who prepare those. I have never written code in my life and probably never will. Uh, and, and so the smart contract is something that's, that's, you know, part of the, the, the token. And, and associated with that token on the chain. And, and what's, what the lawyers will get involved in are all the actual uh, acknowledgements and agreements that um, the participants in the activity, whether it's buying an NFT or you know, joining a, a DAO or going on the metaverse, will, will enter, uh, accept or enter into, virtually speaking. Um, so, for example, if you're selling an NFT, right, there are terms of sale. Um, if I am the owner of that NFT uh, or, or seller of that NFT uh, and um, I'm selling it to you, Jay, uh, what are the terms of what you can do with that NFT? I mean, you see the BAYC model where they have license terms kind of posted on their website when you buy one. You know, uh, some clarity, but not for lawyers. We, we, we'd hope for more. There are others that are much more detailed. If you go buy a luxury, if you go receive a luxury brand NFT or you go and get a, an NBA Top Shots NFT or one of these, very detailed uh, terms, what you can do with it. Can you commercialize it? Can you put it on T-shirts? Can you open a cafe like somebody did with one of their bored apes um, and go sell burgers? Uh, so and that, all but of that's these- a that's a big like that to, that's a big misconception right now in Web three is you own the thing you may not own the IP and Correct. so bored apes I I believe you know is getting a lot of the value because they they're saying if you have this this NFT if you have this token it's yours you do whatever you want with it there's no you know only if you sell that token do they get the royalties off of whatever you sold it there, but there's no, there's no licensing rights, correct? You, That's you correct. Yeah. And in fact, the board ape license agreement is a license. You don't own the actual intellectual property. You have a license. The, the, uh, Yuga continues okay. to own that. <clears throat> so, um, and, and by the way, the, so let's, let's bury that misconception right here, right now on your great, great podcast. When you purchase an NFT, you are not buying the underlying IP. You are buying code on the chain that that evidences your ownership of a link to access that IP. That IP, if it's an image or a video or some other form 
of content is stored typically on a third party site. It could be, you know, AWS, it could be IPFS, it could be one of these other uh, services, but uh, that link allows you to access that. The artwork itself and the underlying IP remains owned by whoever created that. Um, and unless, of course, the seller has said to you, I will deliver to you not only this token that allows you access, this non-fungible token, but I'm going to deliver to you the actual artwork, either in physical or digital form, and transfer in some writing, because under the copyright laws of the United States, a transfer intellectual property requires a signed writing. Uh, hmm. Transfer that copyright to you. Uh, and that rarely happens. In fact, virtually never happens unless, you know, uh, someone has been legally savvy enough to figure it out and, and get that in place. And so people think, I bought an NFT, now I own the image. You don't. Um, you might have a license to do certain things with that image as long as that link is active. But beyond that, all you own, I mean, I say all, it's valuable in certain contexts, is that token, which is code on the blockchain, allowing you access to an image. You know, and it's a very interesting world that we're moving into. And I'm sure you, as, as a warrior, you guys are like looking at this thing going like, oh my God, I don't think people quite realize how complicated copyright law is. It's not as simple as just like click buy and like now I have, you know, the access to, to make a movie of it or to open a, a, a burger shop with the name on it. Like there's still a lot there. You can't use the board eight name without, without going back to them. You have an image um, I believe, but there's, there's a lot there. And then you add into, um, there, there's, uh, did you follow the, uh, uh, Seth Green? Uh, yeah, well, I was issue? just talking about, yeah, exactly. I mean, the situation so, so, of fishing so now and you've got, Yeah. So, so now you've got somebody that believed that they own this. He did own this. In fact, it is his spent immense amount of money building a film around his, his board ape, uh, you know, monkey and, um, and had it stolen out of his wallet. Um, now, now we're entering the world of like, which is better, TradFi or DeFi? Because in the TradFi world, if, if somebody came in and stole your artwork off the wall or, or, you know, robbed you of some, something, you can file the police report. You can go back and say this, 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 and this. And, and potentially you could get your IP back or it never would have left in the first place. There's, I don't even know what the law is right now. Like he's made the movie, he's got this, but he does not own that ape anymore. Right. And and the terms, you know, without focusing too much on BYC, the terms uh, don't clarify whether you know if you create something a derivative. You know, the license terms clearly allow you as an owner of a BYC uh, NFT to create derivative works, but do you retain the right to exploit those derivative works when you either sell that board ape later or have it? Stolen, as was the case with Seth, and totally unclear. And look, it goes back to um, what we talked about earlier, making sure terms of sale and terms of license are clear and concise. And I think it's something that it'll be learning experiences or some pain that we're going to go through. We saw this with Web 1. We saw it with Web 2. Obviously, you know, we saw Napster and piracy. Now we're in a day and age where people are willing to pay for a streaming license for music. 20 years ago, you told somebody, would you pay, you know, five bucks a month for music they, online? They probably would laugh at you. Now everybody has it, you know. Um, I, I think there'll be some growing pains, but I believe in, I believe in the platform. 
I believe in, in, in the, this being the future of many things that we interact with daily when it comes to content. Digital goods and assets have been here. It's funny, right? Because I was having this conversation with, with a prominent kind of influencer in the NFT space. I said, you know, digital assets are viewed as a joke or fraud, or, but almost every one of us, and certainly our kids or nephews or nieces, buy digital assets and goods every day. Uh, whether it's in a you know online game or in some other context, and we probably do as well, and we didn't think about it that way. But NFTs are digital assets and goods, just like anything else. And I think there's some growing pains and evolution that still needs to occur. But I think we'll get there. So let me ask you some some questions, just from my own personal point of curiosity. As long as I've got you, and, and <laughs> I don't have to pay for the legal advice here, because yeah, and I should disclaim <laughs> that that I am not giving legal advice today. Yeah, I was going to say uh, this is yeah, that nothing that I say today uh, should be deemed or construed as legal advice or or you know uh, a, a creating attorney client relationship with myself or my law firm DLA Piper, but. Kind of here to have a conversation about generalities, and you know, uh, have there's, some fun. there's the real lawyer coming out now. Now, we're, <laughs> now we know that that you're uh, you're not, you're a, you're a true uh, true uh, legal professional. Self preservation. Um, so, there you go. So, so in that perspective, as we're kind of talking through this, there there's some major challenges that were caused by you know kind of the web opening up. You know, prior to the internet, there was clear distribution rights, and then they were very regional. And we saw one of the, the problems that, that Napster solved was that people in certain countries now had access to, to files that were never available in their country or were delayed by, you know, weeks, months, or in some cases, years. Um, and, and we see, we saw the pushback of the industry and, you know, the DMCA and everything else kind of push that, like squash that back down because it's a very centralized approach. To distributing, you know, uh, content, you know, so there's still, you know, movies come out in the U.S. before they come out globally, and there's been a little bit of flux there, but it's still, it's not like push a button and boom, it's around the globe. This is going to be a major issue in in Web three because Web three makes no variance and differences between where somebody lives. That's one of the benefits of Web three is it's it's ubiquitous globally. Do you, do you believe that you know we're going to have to have a serious conversation, um, and, and it's going to have to come? I don't I don't even know how you start having that uh, rewriting these copyright laws to say like the world is is one globe. It's it's all one uh, one distribution model in, in Web three, or are they going to really be focusing down on these these regional um, regional sectors? It's an excellent question. I think it's. There's not an easy answer to it. Um, I think there's going to have to be coordination and cooperation among regulatory agencies, at least across some major territories and districts. Um, but I, I think the laws have definitely not caught up. The regulations have definitely not caught up sufficiently. I mean, the DMCA, as you noted, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which, among other things, gave... Um, uh, you know, platforms like YouTube and Google and others, a certain level of protection uh, to be able to have a free internet, so to speak, and something that the um, the advocates of the free internet uh, push strongly for by having these safe harbor provisions, which don't immediately create legal liability if there's infringing content, giving you some period of time to... Um, 
you know, take down that content upon notification by the copyright holder. Um, you know, it's time, I think, for not just a revamp of DMCA, but a revamp of a number of law, securities laws, copyright laws. Um, and, and uh, you know, the United States has historically set great examples, right? Even trademark laws uh, uh, for these advances that countries have followed. And I think we can do that here if we can act. Um, we need the resources. We need the commitment from the highest levels of government to act because, we could be leaders in this and create the model, which is ideal, frankly. We don't want another nation to create the model because it might not be the democratic model we love and, and propagate. So I think we should definitely take the steps to implement uh, the appropriate modernizations um, of our laws to match and meet the world of whether it's KYC, AML, you know, anti money. I mean, there's so many different issues that have to be addressed in this world. To your point, uh, the purpose of Web3 in large part is this decentralization is anonymity, right? Yeah. And anonymity is hard to regulate. Um, so uh, you need really smart people, uh, technology, legal, you know, business to sit down with uh, the right folks and, and formulate uh, at least what could apply now. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you a, a, an interesting anecdote. You know, when I was in my days as a radio DJ, I was also uh, I was also a collector of records, collecting vinyl records, which again, probably something most of the audience don't don't own <laughs> don't, or don't, don't age yourself too much here. They're, you know, yeah, they're coming web, back into web fashion. Three, web three, these guys are all like you know, eighteen years old. I, that's true. I you know, I I um, I was just reading an article that. Um, some big artist, I can't remember who it was, I should, but uh, maybe Styles, Harry Styles or somebody, um, you know, their album was number one, but they sold like some ridiculous number of vinyl records. That was, wow, I was just blown away. But, you know, in the, in the late 80s and the early 90s, when I couldn't uh, uh, find the records that I wanted to play in my local record store, um, because I lived, I lived in a, uh, part of the country where there really wasn't, you know, there wasn't even a tower records where I lived. If you remember those um, oh, yeah. with the yellow and red signs. Right. Um, you know, and so uh, this is like the Napster solve, right? I would, I had found a contact through a friend who lived in London who had this great record store and um, he would get record songs, uh, music, um, mainly 12 inch record singles that nobody else had access to. So I got his phone number and I would literally, I'd made an appointment with him to call him once a month on my speaker phone. It wasn't a rotary, it was actual digital phone. And we would sit on the call for an hour, which would cost me a gazillion dollars. Cause back then, you know, a call from the United States to the UK was like $10 a minute. Oh yeah. There was a little, there was literally people holding wires together. That's right. Tom That's needs right. to talk to this guy. Hold up, hold, hold it for a few more minutes there. Exactly. And so I would literally sit on the phone with him and he would play records for me on this, you know, horrible, uh, uh, you know, speakerphone. I would listen and I would tell him which ones I wanted. And after I was done, he would then ship me, you know, these records from some exorbitant amount of money from the UK. That's how I got, but you know what? I was so passionate about it. I sought it out. I was willing to pay and do that. And and I will tell you, the same concepts have applied at every stage of the web. And I think Web3 is the same issue. Like You cannot stop 
technology. It will always prevail uh, in, in, in moving and advancing forward because people will seek it out like I did those records uh, on that call every month. And, and I think once regular regulators and lawmakers really recognize that, they'll act and they have to act because this is important to evolution. I- and, and I fully agree. You know, the, the U.S. was the leader in, in you know, Web 1 and, and Web 2. And, and from my perspective, and all I do is talk to people around the world about Web 3, the, the U.S. Is, is almost in last place. I mean, the U.S. is crushing uh, innovation and, and doesn't need to be. It's, it's from a very, you know, archaic standpoint and, and trying to apply laws that just, you know, aren't, aren't relevant and, and they're very easy to, to manage. You know, there's, there's certain things that, you know, I won't get into on this, this call here. Um, but, but it, it, it starts with more lawyers like yourself need to have a basic understanding of what Web3 is and what it isn't. You know, the actual use cases of what blockchain technology and decentralization can, can do for society overall and, and not worry about these fringe cases. To me, blockchain is the worst place to launder money. Like, it's the worst, like, cash is great. It's traceless. You, it's completely anonymous. Sure. We, we see people that have stolen, stolen things on blockchain be arrested years later because there's such a clear trail right. uh, of, of, of the theft. And so, you know, the ability to, to teach all lawyers, you know, really around the U.S. and around the world, you know, some very basic ideas around Web3, I think would absolutely be the only way that we're going to get to the lobbyists and get to the politicians and get to the higher ups to actually make clear common sense laws to say this is a net positive but but there's a there's the clear like you know there's issues there's a lot of issues and it's yeah. it's because there's no regulation and then as soon as they say regulation it's like no 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 that's the wrong re- you're putting the wrong regulation on us now and so the market goes you know crashes right. down because right. everyone's got fear no i look I, I think what you're saying uh is is certainly music to my ears um but i i, I think there are folks who are quite entrenched in antiquated models that don't want to necessarily see advancement. And so they're not calling their local, you know, uh, congressman or woman saying, you know, we need to see movement on this or, or pushing for advances. I, I think, you know, look, um, the idea that, um, you know, crypto is, is a dirty word or, or blockchain is, is full of, you know, what was the internet when it first launched? 60, yeah. 70% of it was porn, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the reality was, I mean, you know, I, I, the reality was that, that it took that kind of, you know, content for better or for worse to advance at the light speed that it did technology to where it is today because there was a demand for that. It had to get better and better. The speeds had to get faster and faster. And now, that same content is probably a fraction, a tiny fraction of what's on the web. And I'm not saying that we need porno in 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 blockchain or, or Web three, but the point is, yes, is there illicit activity happening on Web three and uh, you know on the blockchain? Sure, uh, is it happening in the real world? Of course it is. You know, there are mafiosos going, you know, uh, to uh, the local. Uh, grocery store and, and asking for their weekly pay. Maybe there are in some places, but but there's plenty of other types of illicit activities going on on the web and in other uh, forums that, that, you know, we can't, 
you know, and, and to your point, tracing and tracking on a blockchain with a ledger is a lot easier than tracing cash. Um, yeah. So uh, I think there are definitely um, many reasons why we should embrace uh, the world of Web3. Yeah, so so Tom, that's we're, that was the greatest pivot ever of being able to get a warrior to go down on this podcast. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. So so let's start going way back around uh, and, and bringing a little a uh, little uh, faith back into this whole this whole conversation. Here. <laughs> um, so so DOA like because there is a drastic need. I mean, again, I, I talk to anywhere from a dozen to, to two dozen entrepreneurs every single week uh, that are interested in getting in the space that are trying to figure out their ideas, their ideating. Um, Talked and, and, and legal representation is is truly one of the hardest things to find, even from that very base standpoint. So, so can you give just a really quick overview of DLA overall, as well as kind of the resources for any uh, you know Web three or Web two looking to to transfer into Web three? Kind of what resources they can have. The firm I'm a partner at, uh, DLA Piper, and I and I co chair the uh, global media, sports, and entertainment sector and, and discipline here with my colleagues. Um, this is one of the largest firms in the world. Um, and I think more importantly than that, because I'm not sure that that alone sells anyone on working with my firm or any firm, is that when it comes to technology and advances in technology, and particularly Web3, we have done an incredible job of uh, ma- amassing some of the greatest minds and experts um, and bringing them together in an incredibly collaborative way. Um, like all the things we talked about, they're antiquated. I think in a lot of ways, the legal profession is massively antiquated. Um, you know, we still, you know, work on hourly rates and we have, you know, a lot of antiquated things. But one of the most antiquated, I think, qualities of the legal profession has been the lack of collaboration I had seen over the many years uh, among several other law firms I've been a partner with and, and an attorney at. And I think we've done a terrific job of solving that. And And I got to tell you, it sounds very kind of cliche to say collaboration, but for a client's perspective, I will tell you, do not work with any law firm or lawyer who does not know how to collaborate with one another, because that same um, lack of, of, of ability to collaborate will transcend into their relationship with you. They will be talking at you rather than talking with you. Um, and I think that's such an important part of what we do. And what we've done is we've taken technology experts. I'm not a pure technology lawyer. My business is media and entertainment. Uh, but We've taken technology lawyers, paired them with uh, cryptocurrency experts, regulation and regulatory lawyers, uh, like my partners in Washington, D.C., who literally wrote the book on cryptocurrency regulation, and groups like ours. And we've melded them together into working groups and focus groups to serve clients in a holistic and complete way. And I think that is, for us, I can't speak for other firms, is the biggest offering of a firm like ours um, and working with us. Plus, we have a tremendous startup practice. So when it comes to entrepreneurs like those who are your listeners and members, you know, we, we know you, we know how to work with you, and we welcome opportunities to really roll up our sleeves and start a new business. So we love that. And 
that's one of my favorite things about what I do is I get to kind of, you know, be there at the ground level and lay those early bricks with, with my clients who are entrepreneurs. I love that. I love that. And it's, you know, being able to kind of have that, like, look, you're a startup, you know, you, you understand the fees, you understand the startup costs. It's just like roll it right in. And, and just because you're web three does not mean the startup, you know, kind of checkboxes should really be any that much different. I mean, you're a startup is a startup. I've been doing startups for 20 years. I've run startup contests. I've, I, I, I mentor startups. I fund startups. And, and really there's, there's, you know, some key checkboxes of which I always, you know, again, refer back. I'm like, go find the lawyer, go find your lawyer. Um, it sounds like you guys have, have got a really great program together. And so I'm excited to, to kind of, you know, continue to learn more. But, um, you know, to, to kind of jump just a little bit more into some of the ideas that you said there, how do you guys, uh, as a firm, have you guys done any of your own internal kind of dev work? Have you guys, uh, you know, thought about DLA kind of integrating themselves a little bit into the metaverse or anything like those sure. uh, type of aspects? A great question. And then one of the greatest segues to a lawyer from uh, an interview are wonderful. Um, <laughs> Um, and we hadn't talked about that earlier. I have, I have so. great, I have great show notes. Yeah, no, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> um, so, uh, we actually, um, DLA, uh, has, uh, launched, uh, a token, uh, called Toco, which we've, um, and you can find out more about it without getting into grave detail here. Um, uh, Online, uh, it's T O K O, and we've so that for me, I mean, we're the only firm I'm aware of that's done that um, in a major way, um, and and um, we've offered that token to everything from real estate and investors in some territories to art collections to um, a variety of other uses, and that to me, and that we did that not like this year, we did that a year and a half ago when 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 most people. The average person didn't even know what NFT stood for, right? Uh, other than no effing time, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, and then within my group, you know, my business, as I've said, is content, right? Content, content, and more content. And, and media, sports, and entertainment, which is the sector that I'm responsible for, um, is, is we've, we've known for years that Convergence with technology has been part of our practice. I mean, it started long, long before the you know Web three. It started long before the streaming services. We were already immersed in, uh, to use a, a appropriate term, in um, techno- technology convergence with media and entertainment. And so, um, it's been super important for our practice to um, make sure that. Our team is very well versed on that intersection, work with clients very carefully and closely as along with pure technology colleagues in, in deploying initiatives, um, in the media and entertainment and sports industry. Because again, like the intersection, it's not like it'll happen or sometimes happens. It's that's it. Like it happens every day. There's nothing we do, uh, today virtually, even live events that, that, doesn't intersect. I'll give you an example. A client of mine um, was a major streaming partner for the recent uh, uh, EDC uh, concert out in Las Vegas, um, and they did some really neat things, including uh, speaking of board apes, uh, take one of the board ape uh, NFTs and send up 350 drones into the sky and uh, uh, create, uh, you know, a 
a color drone uh, NFT in the sky uh, of that um, NFT. I mean, pretty pretty neat intersection, right? And yeah. and now that'll probably become its own NFT. The picture of that drone NFT in the sky, a derivative <laughs> an work, NF- an NFT of an NFT, an NFT of an NFT um, made of drones, right? And so. Um, look, everything we do uh, intersects with it, and we have really focused, the firm has focused, it's one of the key pillars of our firm's business is technology and, and that intersection with all areas, particularly sports media and entertainment. I, I love it, love it. So, so Tom, we've already had you know quite a bit of a conversation right now about a, a number of things and and you know things that you guys have, have deployed on chain. You understand you know all the ins and outs. We understand from a, a variety of standpoints that that the laws really aren't ready for for Web three and they're not quite thinking about it. But that doesn't mean that there's not laws that exist today that are being applied to this. And so, the one that I see most often is that somebody will create a NFT and they will attach some sort of utility to it. And utility is great. I believe that all NFTs should have some sort of utility. But then they start talking about rewards or airdrops or returns on a specific investments or that they're going to attach them to real estate. And that would turn it into a security. What are... What, what's your thoughts around you know how to avoid that or how to manage that process? What's some circuit breakers? Uh, and I know you're not a securities lawyer, but 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 you know just really the thought process someone should go around to because that's a whole different conversation uh, from IP law. Um, absolutely, and and look, the those issues present incredibly challenging. Um, predicaments for a number of the participants uh, in the NFT space, um, including, by the way, these marketplaces that um, that have to deal with uh, the sale of NFTs. Utility, I think utility is the only way the NFT work, uh, NFT marketplace survives. I think unless you're selling a incredibly valuable piece of art doodles that my five-year-old does are, are, you know, that, that fat is gone, right? It's already dead. Um, but utility and, and evidence of, um, membership or loyalty or participation or badge of honor, whatever you want to call it, uh, whether it's DAO or, or NFT form, is where the future of loyalty, you know, memberships is where the future of NFTs are and present uh, uh, form of NFTs are. Um, you've seen like Gary V with VCon recently doing, um, you know, the purchase of an NFT, giving uh, the, the owner um, the ability to attend uh, his VCon conference. And then he's been adding additional benefits um, that weren't even kind of promised. Those types of things, I think, look, it's the same version of like your blockbuster card or whatever you want to call it. You pay your fee and you have access to certain privileges. And I think that's where the future is uh, and then some. Um, however, presents major challenges, right? Because if I'm an NFT marketplace, OpenSea, or you can pick your favorite one, uh, and, and I'm selling a utility NFT, and I was having this conversation with the person who runs NFTs for one of the major marketplaces recently, and there's a promised utility. How does that platform 
that is kind of the intermediary in the same, the marketplace, in, in the sale of that NFT, assure that the seller delivers on that utility. And it's difficult, right? Sure, you can pick reputable partners to be uh, in business with. You can um, ensure that the utility terms are clear and concise. But it, there's still some serious challenges around that. Um, and then that leads to the issue of securities laws, right? Um, because if that utility is something that starts to trample or, or traverse onto securities laws, um, because that utility is uh, viewed as an investment, you're participating in, in revenues. There's a famous Supreme Court case called the Howey Test that mm-hmm. basically says, you know, it's a security if it's an investment of money. There's an expectation of profits from that investment. Uh, that investment of money is in a common enterprise, and any profit that comes from the efforts of a promoter or a third party are involved in that. Um, and and if you satisfy that test, you're security and you're regulated by securities laws. You either have to qualify for exemption or register that security. And many people in the uh, Web3 world view that Howey test not applying because of that mostly about because of that third factor of the test, which is, you know, there's no common enterprise. It's the, it's the, it's web three. There are dozens or hundreds or thousands of people. Uh, it's not like five startup, uh, you know, partners, uh, uh, starting, uh, a company and, and, and that's their common enterprise. The problem I think with that is that that typically doesn't ring true, at least at the early stages of a NFT's life or a DAO, um, structures life. It, it may happen eventually where it's so disintermediated or decentralized that that one could very solidly argue that the Howey test doesn't apply. But I think in its current form, there's a real risk that with a lot of these, the test would apply, it would be deemed a security and you're subject to regulation and have to apply for some form of exemption or register your security. You know, you answer that perfectly, and the the there was no right answer to that because clearly it's it was as you could tell you're like oh crap look at what Jay's asking me now, the the entire concept for anyone that's listening to this is it is that complicated, you know Tom this is what Tom does every day he's got one of the biggest firms behind him that specializes in this and there's no clear answer everything is is a gray area right now so the I never give advice um, in a variety of ways uh, except for never trade on margin and and really always consult you know just with, with a with a true legal professional and having one or two opinions is entirely acceptable you, you um, use the and, term Jay that is it's almost in my everyday like lexicon gray right gray area yeah. right I tell some of my clients who are you know aside from the startups and the you know, uh, smaller companies, some of the largest companies in the world, brands in the world, and they want to wade into the NFT space. And I say, if you want to do this, you got to be comfortable with a lot of gray. No black and white here. Not yep. not right now. And I don't know when there will be, but you got to be, you know, these are the, the, the black and the whites and the rest of it is gray. And if you're willing to play in gray, different shades of gray, then uh, you know this is for you. If not, then I think you should wait it out. I, I think that's the exact point, Tom. What's the best way for uh, for the audience to to get a hold of you or to to just reach anyone in your firm? What where's uh, where's the best points of access? 
Yeah, sure. Um, well, you can certainly go to uh, our website, and we're going to be launching uh, a, a, a new and refreshed site very soon. But um, and you can find out about our various practices, including our media, sports, and entertainment sector practice. Um, you could reach me directly uh, by emailing me uh, at tom.ara at dlapiper.com, d-l-a-p-i-p-e-r.com. And um, those are probably, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Love to have you follow or or connect with me on LinkedIn. I try to remain active on there and I read a lot of it, probably more than I do the newspaper, um, which uh, is, is a surprising shift for me. But, um, you know, looking forward to connecting with anyone who has questions or wants to just talk metaverse, NFTs, and Web3. Awesome. Yeah, fabulous. And uh, I, I just looked on here. We're not friends, but uh, I, I'm going ahead and, and, and requested you on, on LinkedIn. Um, and, and Tom, really, I, I, I appreciate you stopping by, hanging out, and, and giving a little bit of your, your thought process around the space. Um, clearly, it's, a, it's an engaging and highly volatile uh, asset class right now, Web3, but it is you know, not without massive rewards. Um, the space will come down over time, uh, but, but those who really get in now, get in now and under, have a basic understanding of it, and, and learn uh, over time. There's no rush. You know, I always tell people there's no rush. There's, there's no issues. Um, but, but before you start a project, before you deploy capital, before you do anything, really understand what you're getting into because the technology should never drive the business ever. Um, and I'm very, I'm very firm on that as well. It's not advice, but uh, a thought process. But Tom, uh, thank you so much. Uh, this is DLA Piper and Y Whales. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you, Jay. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by TruthWork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto. All information, content, and materials contained in this podcast are for general informational purposes only. This podcast is intended to be a general overview of the subject discussed and does not create a lawyer-client relationship. Statements and opinions are of those of the individual speakers and participants and do not necessarily reflect the policies or opinions of DLA Piper LLP US. The information contained in this podcast is not and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice. No listener should act or refrain from acting with respect to any particular legal matter on the basis of this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel in a relevant jurisdiction. This podcast may qualify as lawyer advertising requiring notice in some jurisdictions. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. DLA Piper LLP US accepts no responsibility for any actions taken or not taken as a result of this podcast.